Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. about breakthrough. Now it's been awesome. I might be all right this morning, Lisa. I might get you up in a minute. You can have a seat. <clears throat> you can sit in my seat. Right there, right there, right there. In the hot seat. We've been talking about breakthrough and it's been an incredible month and a half. We did a month and a half because, am I echoing? Okay. We did a month and a half because um, it was such a great topic and Pastor Phil kept saying, we've got one more, I've got one more sermon, I've got one more sermon, and so we just kept going. So we're changing theme right now in the middle of the month. Has that put you off? Love it. Going with the flow, amen. So the theme right now is faith arising. Who knows that, you know, with the season that we are on the earth, there's probably been no greater time than we have right now that the people of God need faith. If it's not the faith that you need for yourself, you need faith for someone else. Amen? If you, if you think, I don't need faith for myself, I've got enough for myself right now, then you need to get faith for someone else. Because somewhere along the line, in the days that we're living in, in the seasons that we're living in, you might have to have faith for a whole nation. You might have to have faith for a whole people group. You might have to have faith you know, for your neighbor, for your friend. You might have, faith, have to have faith for someone who's dying right next to you and you've got to raise them from the dead. You might have faith to have a baby and go into labor. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> I told you she was going to be two weeks late. Anyway, I'm, anyway, I'm not prophesying that. She'll come when she's cooked. That's what I always say, when she's ready. And so I don't think ever before that, that there's been a time where we need to have faith. The Bible says that the whole earth will be shaken and that which remains standing will remain. And, you know, you, you can have stuff going on all around your life. You can have shaking going on all around your life. And yet you can, according to the word of God, stand in the midst of that and not be shaken. You, if, you, if you stand in the faith that has been given to you, you can stand in the midst of no matter what's going on around you, and you cannot be shaken. Jesus said that he is the rock. And so when we stand on the rock, the rock doesn't move. There may be storms around us. There may be sinking sand all around us, but that rock doesn't move. It doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning from the end. He's not worried. He is the rock. And as long as you're standing on that rock, whatever happens in your life, in your nation, in your workplace, in your friendships, in your marriages, in your families, and the nations of the earth, no matter what happens in those places, you stand solid because you're standing on the rock. The, the only problem that we have is when we get off the rock. We used to sing, you know, I, I wasn't raised in Sunday school. Anybody raised in Sunday school here? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a first-generation Christian. And Was there a song I used to sing? 
sing, build your house on the rock and sing it for me. You know. <laughs> Somebody sing it. Come on, Timothy Phillips. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on. Duo. Come on. X Factor Duo. Let's go. Come on, come on. Just sing it. Just sing it for me. And, and, isn't there another bit? Down and the rest come up. Rain came down and the flood came up. <laughs> Is the house what? The house on the rock stood firm. It's good. So we're going to have a look at a, um, a story. Now, um... This is a story from the Word of God. It's not a story. It's the truth. Like, it's not, like, made up. It's actually an account. So we'll look at an account. But we're going to look at an account, two accounts of God, and they're just going to roll into each other, okay? So let's just look at Mark. If you've got your Bible, turn to Mark 9, or you can look at the screen. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read you some scripture first. Is that right? So everybody tuned in and... Um, here we go. You're all here? Good. After six days, this is Mark 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anything in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And I'll just, I'll just go on from there down to um, verse 14. Let's just skip to verse 14. So they've just been up this mountain. They've had this incredible encounter. There's been this transfiguration. And then verse 14, we'll pick it up. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet him. What are you arguing about with them? What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son. He is possessed by a spirit. It has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. This guy's got a bit of a problem. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him with the, when the spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Not a nice sight. 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, 
It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and stood up. Now, I just want to look at the end of his story, the same account, but in Matthew's account. This is the end of this little account, according to Matthew. Matthew 17, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have such little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In this story, which is really a sequence of a couple of stories, Uh, we see here where there should be faith arising. Really what's happening is there's three three examples of unbelief. And I just want to look at that. Look at this and look at us. Because, you know, we're all over the Bible, aren't we? We're all in it. I mean, you just read stories in the Bible and you go, there I am. That was me yesterday and here I am today. And so um, let's look at ourselves the way that they're reacting to this situation, these two situations, and the way that perhaps we react to situations in our life. And so there's three things here. There's three levels or three types of unbelief that Jesus does address. First of all, he addresses the unbelief of the crowd. Then he addresses the unbelief of the Father. And then he addresses the unbelief of the disciples. So first of all, let's look at the crowd. So you've got to imagine this scene. So Jesus is up a mountain. He's up here. And just say, you're the crowd. You're the crowd. Say, yay. And so, and I'm not Jesus, but just pretend Jesus is there. And I'm, maybe I'm the disciples. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and they're having, he's having this transfiguration, this, this amazing moment where actually what's happening is it's being revealed to these three disciples that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. What they're seeing should say to them, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, and even the voice from heaven, this is my son, you know, listen to him, it's all happening. But it's interesting that we see here, you've got to remember that the crowd, you're the crowd, you're in the valley. You're right at the bottom of the mountain, why? Because the crowd always followed Jesus. So they follow Jesus. We're following Jesus. Why? Because we want to see the miracles. We want to see the next thing he can do. We want to see the tricks. Really, that's why they followed him. And they followed him around. They follow, I mean, not everyone did that, but people did follow him for good reasons. And there they are. They're, at the, they're in the valley, right at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus has gone up with the three disciples, and he's having this transfiguration moment. Now, the Bible clearly says that the first thing that happened, that his, his clothes became like bright, like so bright that you couldn't even bleach him that white. I mean, you've probably never seen white, like his clothes were white. So I I would say that they would have been glowing. I'd say that it wouldn't have been just like, oh, he he had nice white clothes on and, you know, he'd been to the laundry that morning. 
It'd be more like there'd be a, a light emanating from his very being, that he's not he's just his clothing was light and white, but his whole being had become white because they were looking at him in his glorified state. They were looking at him as he would stand before his father in the very presence of God, amen? And he's, he's, he's so bright, he's illuminating. There would have had to be light coming off that mountain. There would have had to be light. Can't, you know, if, if there's a huge light on top of a mountain, people would, what's that? You know, you'd have to be going, what's that? What's going on up there? You'd have to have seen something. If you're waiting at the base of this mountain for Jesus to come back down and do some miracles, and there's this light at the top of the mountain. Now, at the same time, here's Moses and Elijah appearing. Now, if there's glory on Jesus and he hasn't yet been glorified, what's the glory like on Moses and Elijah? So we have right here, we have it's almost as if a portal is open, heaven has come down and plonked itself right there on top of this mountain. And so there would be an incredible sense of the presence of God, an incredible sense of awe. There would have been such a feeling there. And then the next thing that happens is it says that the mountain is, in, is covered in, in a glory cloud. It, there's a cloud. I mean, if you're looking at a mountain and, and there's a light coming off the mountain and the next thing you see is this huge cloud of the mountain, you're going to be thinking something's going on. Something's going on up that mountain. And really... The people down below, if they would have not been arguing, because the Bible says they were arguing. So everybody just look at your neighbor right now and have an argument quick. Just go, you did it. No, he did it. No, she did it. No, this is the way it is in the law. They're all doing this. And Jesus is up here, this light, and there's, a, and there's light, and there's a cloud, and it's all happening. So maybe why they didn't see anything, and maybe it's not recorded why they didn't see anything, but it's definitely recorded that they were arguing. <laughs> so there they are down there having this argument, this, this is happening. Now, if they would have looked up, perhaps, if they would have sort of for one second put their own problems aside and their own petty stuff for a minute and decided that instead of, blah, 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 I'm going to just look up because Jesus went up. Jesus went up. And if I look up where Jesus has gone, maybe I'll get an answer to what I'm arguing about. And so if they would have just looked up for one minute, they might have seen these things. They might have been able to put two and two together where the scriptures have clearly prophesied that when the Messiah comes that he will be like Mosaic, he'll be like Moses, that there'll be like this this likeness to Moses. And here's Moses at Mount Sinai, up the mountain, glory, cloud. You know, it's the whole thing. It's happening again. And Jesus is up there, and he's being revealed to these three disciples that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one to come. And you really, at any point, anyone in that crowd could have got a glimpse of that. But they were too busy in the valley. They're in the valley. You know? And so here they are, they're in the valley there. And um, it says here, it says that, and so Jesus comes down, he's coming down the mountain with the disciples. They've just had this encounter. 
How many of you know that when Moses came out of the same encounter, that his face was so covered with glory that they actually had to cover his face with a veil because people just couldn't stand to look at him because he was so... How much more would have Jesus been shining with the presence of God, even though he'd gone back to his normal self? The scriptures say he was transfigured and then he was back to normal, back to his earthly state. But there must have been a lingering something on him because it says clearly here in verse 15, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So I I just think they saw something on him. But the something that they saw on him wasn't enough to shake them out of their stuff, this problem. Because the problem was loud. The problem was they were in the valley with a demon. Ever been in a valley with a demon? Ever been in a, a, a really low place in your life and you feel like you've just got a black cloud hanging over you? It's like, Ever been in a place where your kids are sick and you just can't get the breakthrough or something's going on in your life and you're in a valley? You're in a valley with a demon. And when demons get you in a valley, when the enemy gets you in the valley, that's when he'll really act up. That's when he'll really start to manifest and really try and tell you that he is greater than God, that he's stronger than God, that and he'll start frothing at the mouth and screaming and, you know, and trying to get your attention in any way possible, the same way this demon was trying to distract everyone from looking up that mountain. The demon in this boy was using everything that demons use to distract people from seeing God. They're screaming, rolling, ranting, throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water, throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water, you know. And throwing him, throwing him down, banging his head on the ground, then he's dropping the mouth, then he's, ah. you know, it's very, it's very entertaining. And so everybody's distracted by the entertainment of the demon and the valley, and they miss what's really going on. What's really going on. You know what I mean? That's why I said this morning lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. All of heaven's in worship. Lift. Lift up your eyes. Come out of the valley. Don't be distracted by the noise and the fuss that the enemy is making. No matter how loudly he's shouting, I'm greater than God and there's no way out of this. You have to break free of those voices and say, but God. But Jesus is the Christ. But Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus can take me out of my valley. Jesus can deliver me. Jesus can make the storm still. He can shut that demon up. And he can speak faith into my life. If I could just look up. And even at times, Jesus comes down the mountain. He comes down the mountain. Or be a crowd again, be a crowd. Have a little, come on, look at each other, have a little argument, go on. And he's coming down the mountain. And now, oh, look at me, I'm Jesus, look at me. And you're in wonder. Oh, Jesus has come in the middle of our mess. And so what's the first thing that we do? Jesus, fix my mess. (laughs) And yet he is in this incredible place where he deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. 
when we see him in his wonder and in his majesty, our first response would, shouldn't be, fix my mess and then I can worship you. Fix my mess, then I can worship. Meet my need, then I can worship you. Tell them they're all wrong and I'm right and then I can worship you. When we see Jesus as he truly is, the first thing we should do in response to that is fall on our faces and worship him. And worship him. Why? Because he's going to meet your need? No, because he is the Messiah. Because he is the king. Because he deserves all glory, all praise, and all honor is due to his name. He deserves it. He deserves to be worshipped just because of who he is, not what he can give you. Amen? And that's the way to get out of your valley. That's the way to conquer your demons in the valley, is to worship him. You know, when we went through revival in the 90s, there was a common thread saying, wasn't there, Luke? It says, seek his face, not his hand. Seek his face, not his hand. Because in seeking his face, he can't help but put out his hand. When we seek the face of God, and we come to that place to give him all glory, all honor, all praise, everything that's due to his name, he can't help but say, what do you want? What do you need? Tell me your needs. He told us how to pray. He told the disciples, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Then it's, in, then it's about you. You can have a turn. But first, our Father. And so when, when Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees their reaction and he sees that they don't get it, they don't get who he is, they've just come to see another trick, they've just come to get another need met, they don't really see that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he's going to change the whole planet. They don't see it. And so he turns to them. You think that he's rebuking the disciples. He's not. He's rebuking the crowd. Oh, unbelieving generation. Another, another uh, um, version says, oh, faithless generation. Oh, unbelieving, faithless generation, he says. <laughs> what else did he say? <laughs> he says something like, how long do I have to put up with you? How long do I have to deal with this? You know? 19? Yeah, thanks, Jessica. It's in verse 19. <clears throat> there comes a place where you, you have to move out of the crowd. There comes, a pl there comes a time in your life where you have to declare to yourself and to everyone around you, I'm not just part of the crowd. I am not a spectator. I'm a participator. I haven't just come here as a crowd to get my needs met and to watch the show, but I've actually come here to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Mighty God. That I am not part of this unbelieving generation. I'm not part of a crowd, but I'm actually seeking God. 
<clears throat> the message, let's just look at the Message Bible and what he said to them in verse 19 and 20 and look at the Message Bible. It says this. Jesus said to them, What a generation. No sense of God. No focus to your lives. So how many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy here or order the afflicting demon out. It was gone. From that moment, the boy was well. Bang. They could have, they could have received so much more than just their needs met. <laughs> so much more. Imagine if they really would have looked at him and began to worship him. Imagine if that whole crowd would have just zipped it up and began to worship God. I don't think Jesus would have even had to deliver that boy. I think the demons would have just fled in the midst of the worship, in the midst of the glory, in the midst of the, the people of God lifting up their voices in unity to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, says that demons will flee at the mention of his name. You only need to mention his name and demons flee. And they won't chuck a patty like that. They'll do it real quiet too. Because when you've got a whole bunch of people worshipping together, the presence of God, the manifest presence of God is in the room. And they just better go quiet. You know, I was watching um, um, a YouTube, a YouTube, and um, it was in New York City, and it was in the street of New York, and there were these um, ISIS, um, Hamas um, supporters in the street, and they had big signs, you know. Basically saying, kill the Jews. They're basically saying that because they were saying, from the sand to the sea, it's ours. In other words, we need to annihilate Israel. And they were in the streets. And, and in this, in this um, street of New York, it is very populated by Jewish shops. They're all Jewish shops. And it was very, you know, they must have felt like, like, this is Hitler. This is Hitler again. Like, they're coming to kill us. And here we are in our shops. It just reminded me the whole scene of like what it would have been like when Hitler sent his troops in and, and just grabbed those people out of those shops and took them off to be killed. And you know, it just felt like that whole scene. And I think it might have felt like that whole scene to these Jewish shopkeepers too. Because I think something happened on the inside of them where they said, We will no longer be victims. We will no longer be threatened because we Worship the one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is with us. And one by one, they stepped out of their shops, they locked their shop doors, and they began to go, Israel, 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 Israel. Then some more people came, Israel, 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 they started dancing in the street. And the next minute, there's about a thousand Jews in that street. This little hummus, hummus, little hummus people, little hummus crowd making their hummus in the middle there. And they're sort of going, kill the Jews. Kill. It was just so beautiful. And then, and, then, and then they're going, Israel. And then they started dancing and laughing, laughing. 
and dancing. Like, you know, they do. You know how they dance? One true God, one true God. They're doing all these. Is it good? Oh, no, no. And, um, <laughs> and the feeling. And these people just hovered, awestruck, just like, and they put their little banners down. They went, <laughs> and off they went. They're, Israel! Israel! It was awesome. And the slogan was, the slogan at the bottom says, New York for Israel. And it says, these guys will never visit this street again. <laughs> what can happen when people just say, I'm going to worship him. In the midst of it, I'm out of breath now. <laughs> okay. So, the second thing I want to have a look at so this is the crowd, you got that? The second one I want to have a look at is the Father. We'll just look at this quickly. Everyone that's listening on the recording right now, I'm just catching my breath. Throw on some water, I know I need air. <laughs> I need oxygen right now. It's a long time since I've done Israeli dancing. <laughs> okay, so the father. So let's have a look at the father, the unbelief of the father. Um, so in other translations and other accounts of this, we learn that this boy is the father's only son. So when um, in this culture, in this um, Jewish culture, when you have a son, he is your heir, he is your inheritance, he is basically your bank account, because it's according, it's, he's the one that works the land for you, he's the one that takes the donkey to the market, whatever needs to happen, he's the one that, you know, he's, you don't go hire people to do stuff at this level, you have your sons do the work. And he has one son. He has only one son. And Jesus asked him, how long has he been like this? He says, you know, since, since he was young. He's been like this since he was young. Can you imagine the anguish of this father? I mean, for a minute, you know, we just go, oh, he had so much unbelief, this, this guy. But listen, for a minute, as parents right now, I'm talking to the parents in the room. How many of you have looked at your child sick and just gone, oh, I can't even pray. I don't even know what to say. I, I feel helpless. He's, he's so connected. I remember like, it was like about seven years ago, this was happening to Jamie, my third daughter, where she was, you know, she was having these like convulsions and attacks and, and even at times her heart was stopping. And so here I am, I'm in, the, I'm in ICU. I never thought I'd be in ICU with one of my children, and she's hooked up to every machine possible, and they've got a heart beating for her, they've got, they're breathing for her, and it's like she's on life support, and they're saying, we're going to have to get her down to Sydney, we're going to have to do, um, put a pacemaker in to keep her heart going, because we can't keep her heart going. I mean, it was serious. 
And, and where's your faith in that moment? You know, as a parent, it's easy to say, oh, come on. You know, breakthrough's coming. Have faith, you know. It's easy to say that. I know all the scriptures. I know Jesus. I, but I couldn't find him right at that minute. I couldn't find him in that hospital. It was so full of darkness. It was so overwhelming. It was so hard. And looking at my daughter, and it was like, and, I was, and at that time, I wasn't really pressing into God before this happened. You know when you have little times where you're just like, oh, everything's real good. Just, just, just have a chill. Don't need to pray as much. Don't need to read my Bible as much. You know, it's good. Things are going good. And I just have, just have a breather, you know. And then I'm just in this terrible dry place. I'm just like, I can't even feel God. And bang, down she goes. So I'm at the hospital. I'm thinking, I should have prayed in tongues last week. I knew I should have. You know, I should have got myself ready for this. And I've got no faith. I can't feel God. It feels like the heavens are like brass. And here's my child. And they're saying all these things. And, and you know, it was just the most, it was the worst moment of our lives. Prior to getting to the hospital, she was on the ground for 45 minutes coming in and out of consciousness, coming in and out of death, while we waited for that ambulance for 45 minutes before they came. And we're on the phone, she's going, her heart stopped, she's not breathing. Her heart stopped, she's not breathing. And then she'd breathe again, then her heart stopped. Her heart stopped, she's not breathing. 45 minutes before they even came. And that was the first time. That happened to us four times. Like, you know, what does that do to a parent when you see a child in a place like that? Where do you get faith from? in that moment. What do you draw from? I feel for this guy. I feel for him because I know as a parent, it's like you're dying yourself. It's like you're looking at your child and saying, I can't fix this. I've always fixed her when she had a snotty nose, when she had a thing I put a Band-Aid on. I've always been able to fix this as a mum and now I can't fix it. And this father was to this place. He said he was desperate. My boy's been like this since he was a child. And he says to Jesus, if you can, Jesus, if you can, he's got no faith. He doesn't have anything left. He doesn't even know if, he's, if he can even ask. He says, if you can. And Jesus says, if, if I can? If I can? He's asking the question, if I can? Are you asking me if, if I can? And, he's, and he says to him, do you believe? Because anything is possible to those who believe. And this man, I love him because he's transparent and he's honest. He doesn't stand on his big black Bible and say, Thus saith the Lord. He's got nothing happening on the inside because Jesus knows when we're whitewashed, tombs full of dead man's bones, and he knows when we're faking it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? He knew in that moment in that hospital room when I'm looking at my daughter, I had nothing. But like that man... I got on my knees in the waiting room of that hospital and I said, Jesus, I don't believe. I don't know even where to start to believe. I thought I had faith. I thought I had a relationship with you. I've got nothing right now. But I was honest like this man. I said, but help my unbelief. Please help my unbelief. Do you think that he is so unmerciful? That when you're going through a hard time, that he's just going to say, well, until you get your faith in order, I ain't moving. You know, like, really? He sees a desperate father. He sees a boy that's been tortured by a demon his whole life. 
He really doesn't need the faith to make him move. He's moved by compassion. He's moved by love. He's, even though he's upset with the crowd and he's upset with the Father, and in a minute, well, look, he's upset with the disciples too. But in the midst of all his upsetness, he's still Jesus. And in the midst of all his upsetness, he still sees the heart. Please help my unbelief, the Father said. And Jesus said, come out of him. Get lost, you evil thing. And then the whole crowd again. I mean, you think they were done with their whinging? They think they, that, that they, by now they've gone, whoa, by now. But they all go, oh, he's dead now. He's dead. <laughs> Jesus, you've totally blown this one. Like you've made it worse. No, the crowd. Don't be part of the crowd. Come out from amongst them. Don't be part of the whinging crowd. Don't be get in with the negatives. Oh, he's dead now. And Jesus just takes the boy by the hand. He doesn't say a word like, oh, you stupid people. Can't you see I just healed the kid? He just takes him by the hand. I love it. Smith Wigglesworth in his meetings is a famous, famous crazy man of faith in the, in the 50s and... And I remember this, this one account where there was this guy, he's on a stretcher, he's about five minutes from death, and Smith Wilkersworth comes up and he says, stand him up, stand him up. He was a funny man. Stand him up. And the guy's like, can't even, he's got no limbs left, like he's half, he's dead, just about. He's got about two breaths left and he's a goner. And he says, stand him up. So they stand him up, they're trying to stand his hand. And then he just goes up and he whacks him in the stomach and says, He's healed. And walks off. The guy falls on the ground and they're all going, he's dead, he's killed him. (laughs) He's dead. And they run after him up the line while he's praying for other people. He's dead. You've killed him. You've killed him. And he just turns around and says, he's healed. Because he had that kind of funny accent. He's healed. And of course he was healed. They got him up, he was totally healed. He's dead. And Jesus just takes the boy by the hand, stands him up restores him to his father. That's what Jesus did with my daughter. She didn't ever have to have uh, a pacemaker put in. It turned out there was nothing wrong with her heart. It was a lying demon. Amen. She still has turns, but she gets up off the floor every time and says, I'm going to keep going until Jesus completely heals me. Seven years later, she's about to go plant a church in Africa. And you know what? She's got no fear. Why has she got no fear? Because she's overcome the fear of death. And Jesus used that for his glory in Jesus' name. And I can see that now. Amen? In Jesus' name. And I'm going to finish. I'm going to talk about that later tonight if Pastor Phil doesn't get off his deathbed. We might just go home and all raise him up now. (laughs) Because the third thing that he was upset was the disciples, but we'll leave it there for now. Let's all just stand to our feet. I'll have the worship team up. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just every eye closed right across the room. And if this has really, really spoken to you this morning, you know, if you've kind of said, you know what, I can see myself in that crowd. I can see myself as that father. I can... I can see myself in these situations and 
You know, the whole story wasn't about a demon-possessed boy, but that's where we would focus. The whole story was about Jesus. It's about, it's always about Him. It's always about Him getting you closer to Him and Him getting closer to you. Every story in your life, every experience that you have in your life is all about Him getting you out of the crowd, Him delivering you, Him proving Himself to you, Him loving you, Him having compassion on your circumstances, but Him wanting you to stand up and rise up in faith out of your circumstances because He wants you to get a revelation that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the mighty God. Come on, let's play this song. Lift up your eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith to live like Christ for all our days.